Believe it or not, we are actually at the final teaching of Jesus Christ on the Sermon on the Mount. Isn't that amazing? Has this, has this been like a great journey or what? You know, or you can, maybe you're angry at me because I dragged it out for so long, you know? Or maybe I was just confused as to what to preach next and I just thought I'd, you know, drag this out. But it's actually the last teaching of Jesus Christ. There's two more verses technically in this section. I don't know if I'll go over it next week. We'll see. But this is the last teaching of Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount. So it's kind of big, you know, and just like Jesus Christ has been doing for the past few sermons, he doesn't pull any punches. He still comes with a full-on challenge. But there's, it's also very encouraging as well, and we'll get to that as we talk about this sermon today. And you know, once again, Jesus has been giving us this series of challenges and warnings as he closes this sermon. And even though he talked about four different things, he talked about what? He talked about he talked about roads, two different roads, two different trees, two different claims. And even in today, he talks about two different builders. He's really just saying two main things. There are two main things that he wants to state very, very clearly. And I'd like to share that with you as I begin. The first thing that he's saying very, very clearly is, that, is this. Hell is real. You know, the consequence of all of his challenges is that you're going to go to hell if you don't follow this. Unfortunately, that is what he's saying. Hell is real. Eternal judgment is real. And what determines whether we go to heaven or to hell depends on what we do with our life here on earth. That's what he's saying. Number two, he's saying obedience is the distinguishing characteristic of a person going to heaven. You don't get, to, you don't get into heaven by living a life of obedience. Obedience doesn't get you in. But everyone who does get in gets characterized, is characterized by obedience. Obedience proves your faith and relationship with Christ. What gets you into heaven? True faith gets you into heaven. Faith, true faith in Christ gets you into heaven. Why? Because that faith leads to a genuine relationship with Christ, which is characterized by obedience. We've been saying that for like the past three, four weeks, but it's, once again, it rings true today. And I think in today's story, as it's the last one, Jesus really brings that truth home for us. Okay, so we'll go over that together. In today's passage, Jesus compares two builders. A wise one against a foolish one. Now, what you have to realize is they both built houses. And, you know, according to the story, they're basically, these houses are exactly the same. What do these houses represent? They're like metaphors. These houses that these men built are metaphors for the religious lives that these men lived. Those are the, that's what the house is, okay? And what Jesus is saying is that these both, men, both of these men built a great house. They lived great religious lives. They both went to the same church attended the same revival meetings, got saved in the same place. They were both part of the same CG. You know, they both like donated to the same ministries. They both fed the same poor people. Their religious lives were, were basically identical. And that's exactly what Jesus is painting here. Um, but Jesus calls one man wise while he calls the other man foolish. Why is that? And he explains, uh, well, the wise man built his house upon a rock, or on the rock, while the foolish man built his life upon sand. And the picture that Jesus is painting is very, very simple. He's saying the reason why this guy's wise is because he built his whole life upon something that is solid and immovable. While this guy over here built his house on something that he knew was constantly shifting, that he knew was like not reliable to build his life upon. And so... Uh, this is what he's saying. What makes a man wise or foolish is not the building, but the foundation upon which 
this person chooses to build their life upon. No one builds their life upon sand, right? These days you can because technology is actually amazing. You can actually build houses upon sand. There's a, I looked it up on Google. You know, but back then they couldn't. You know, no one built their life on the, on, on the desert. That's why you don't see houses out in the desert. You know what I'm saying? Just on some sand dunes. You don't because the house is going to get blown away. So people never did stuff like that because it was absolutely foolish. Because even if you did build it and somehow you were able to build it, when the storms do come, guess what happens? You know, the waters rise, the winds beat against it, and it just falls, right? It cannot stand. You know, storms in the Old Testament were very, very simple. Everyone, everyone knew what a storm was. When Jesus mentioned storms, everyone knew that in the Old Testament, storms represented God's judgment. Okay, whenever you read like storms in the Old Testament, that's like, oh, that's God's judgment. You'd be right. That's exactly what it meant. So what Jesus is saying here is that God, when God's final judgment comes upon us, those who built their lives, their spiritual lives upon the rock, will endure, while those who built their spiritual lives upon sand will fall with a great crash. That's exactly what this is saying, right? And this is actually a really great warning to all of us. Jesus is saying that God's judgment is real and that God's judgment is coming. Jesus is saying that eternity is real. Heaven is real. Heaven or hell is also real. And these are coming. Either you're going to stand through God's judgment with flying colors or you're going to fall with a great crash. This is what Jesus is saying through this last story. So Jesus is painting a very clear picture of what the end looks like, doesn't he? It's very clear. It's crystal, crystal clear. But believe it or not, there is so much more than this warning in these stories. I mean, if Jesus is going to end his sermon, he's going to end with something like really big, and he does, right? Through this, believe it or not, through this story, he actually reveals God's heart to us, and I can't wait to share that with you. And Jesus shares with us God's purpose behind salvation and the role God's judgment actually plays in order to awaken us to the grace of God and in order to awaken us to his love for him, or for us. So I hope this sermon not only helps you understand the story of salvation, the story of the gospel, and all this stuff, but I hope, you may, I hope it makes you conclude at the end of all these teachings that there's only one way to live in this world, and that's for Jesus Christ alone. That's my wish. That's my hope. I hope that happens. Okay, so let's get to it. You know, Jesus tells us straight up, how can we stand up against God's judgment? Verse 24, it says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. The one who is prepared for eternal judgment is one who lives obediently to God's commands in his life. And what is this guy doing? How does he describe it? Not only does he hear what God is saying to him, but then he, he not only hears and listens, but he obeys it. He is a doer of the word. And this man is called wise by Jesus Christ because he knows that it is only through obedience to Christ's commands that his joy in the rock increases. Okay? This man is wise because his joy is in the rock. This is why he's wise. Okay? That's a huge statement. You know, um, when I first came to Australia in 2005, the first camp I ever went to was in the Blue Mountains in the middle of winter. No one told me how cold the Blue, the Blue Mountains are in the middle of winter. So I bought this, like, really, I bought the cheapest, like, sleeping bag you could buy at Kathmandu. You know, it was the stupidest decision I ever made. But anyway, I'm there. 
But and in my room, I'm sharing this room with this one other guy, and our, you know that bar heater thing? It was broken in our room, so it was absolutely freezing. And I'm like so cold that I wore my jacket and I wore my boots inside my sleeping bag to sleep. But I was still freezing cold and I was suffering. But I looked at my friend who's on the other side in the other bed, and he's got his, bla he's got his sleeping bag on, but he's like sleeping like a baby. He's like smiling while he's sleeping. I'm getting angry all throughout the night because I can't sleep because it's so cold. So I wake up in the morning, and I was like, oh, my goodness, aren't you freezing? Wasn't that so cold last night? He goes, no. I said, oh, my goodness. And I'm telling my, my old sob story, and I'm complaining. I said, ha, how is it that you slept like a baby? And you know what he does? He turns to me, and he just smiles. Do you know how annoying that is? You know, when, when, your, when your friend just smiles at you, just answer the question, man. You know, and I feel like slapping him. Uh, and I'm like, oh, how did you stay so warm? And then all of a sudden, he opens up his sleeping bag. I mean, we looked exactly the same on the outside. He opens up his sleeping bag, and you know what's on the inside? An electric blanket. That's the secret, okay? If you ever have a camp in the winter. So I went out after that camp. I bought an electric blanket. Anyway, but you could tell he had this, this silly joy in his electric blanket. But it makes sense because he knew that on the outside, it doesn't matter if you have a sleeping bag. In the Blue Mountains, sleeping bag ain't going to help you. It's too cold. You need the electric blanket, and his joy was in that blanket. You know, in the same way, the man's joy is not in the house. He doesn't find joy in building this house. His joy is on the foundation that his house is being built upon. That's why he's so joyful. And this wise man knows that the more he obeys, the closer he gets to Christ. The more he obeys, the deeper he learns to trust in Christ, the greater his joy and satisfaction is in Christ alone, the rock, the foundation. That's why this man is wise. And this is something you need to understand. When we say stuff like obedience, we need to live a life of obedience. It's not like God wants obedience from us because he's like this master that's demanding obedience from a servant. Or like a parent would demand obedience from their child. Right? A lot of times we think obedience is like that when we think of obedience in the church. But it's not like that at all. See, God wants obedience because obedience to his commands is what deepens our joy and satisfaction in Christ. And that's why he wants us to obey. A life of obedience is what continually convinces us in this life of the beauty and the worthiness of Jesus Christ. Obedience is difficult, yes, because it goes against our sinful nature. But when we uh, surrender and we ask God to help us obey, because only Christ can help us obey his commands, that's when Christ comes into our life and actually helps us obey. And we realize, oh my goodness, not only is Christ real, but look at the glorious things that he's doing. He's showing us how awesome and beautiful and worthy he is to truly give our whole lives to. And God knows that obedience leads us to that joy and satisfaction. That's why obedience is characterized. Right? It's, it's obedience is what characterizes a man going into heaven. Because that person's joy and satisfaction truly is in Christ alone. Do you guys get that? Yes? That's why this guy is wise. And that's why... Judgment exists. You ever wonder, why, why, why does there have to be judgment? But judgment has to exist because of what I just said. And let me just share with you why. Do you know what God's ultimate goal is? What is the ultimate goal of God? Do you guys know the answers to this question? You know, there's so many, right? But let me just tell you what it is. It's the glory of God. His glorification is his ultimate 
goal. The reason why he's the God of the universe, the reason why he created everything he created, the reason why he even offers salvation to us is so that he can be glorified. Everything in life was created to give him glory. From the heavens to the humans, we were all created to give him glory. And so the ultimate goal and the ultimate purpose of our salvation is what? The glory of God. That he is glorified through our lives. And obedience continually affirms to us, helps us stay connected and convinced how worthy and glorious God truly is. And that's why when you think about what heaven's going to be like, heaven's simply going to be a celebration of his glory. And the people that are in there, the only people that will and can get in are people who actually want to do that. Just continually want to give God glory. Do you guys understand that? My, my dad is like 80 years old. But when, you know, 60th birthdays are celebrated among Korean, like Korean society. You know what I'm talking about? When someone turns 60, right, you guys will get there. You'll, you'll celebrate your parents' 60th birthday. It's like big for Koreans. I don't know why. You know, maybe because, I don't know. Okay, let's not go into that. Anyway, 60th birthdays are huge. So I remember my sister and I were like, okay, my dad's turning 60. So let's have a party and let's invite some people. So what did we do? We made a list of all of my dad's friends. But, you know, we just didn't want to invite anybody to my dad's 60th birthday. It's like the biggest thing in Korean society, right? So what we, so we said, okay, well, we, started to, we made this huge list. And you know what we started to do? We started to cull people. It's so mean, but we, that's what we did. Because we said, like, okay, this guy, yeah, he's a friend, but he doesn't really know my dad well. So let's cut, let's cut him off, you know? And this guy, oh, man, you know, he, like... They're, they know each other, but they're not really good friends, so let's cut him out. Oh, this guy had an argument with, oh, let's cut him out. You know? And basically, we're, cut, we're calling people that either don't know my dad really well, don't like my dad really well, or don't really realize how awesome my dad really is. You don't want anyone at that party who thinks your dad's a jerk, right? Am I right? You're not going to invite those people. You're also not going to invite the people that are only going to you know, rock up just for the food. You know, like at weddings, some people just rock up for the food. You're not going to invite those people to that party. You're also not going to invite people who have nothing better to do on that Saturday, right? You want to invite people that rock up to that party that know how awesome your dad is and want to celebrate his life. In my puny understanding of God, in my puny understanding of heaven, I think that's exactly what heaven is. God wants people there who truly know him and who truly, with all of their being, know how worthy he is to give everything to. That everything in life and every part of all that we are is about him and his glory, and they want to give it to him. Heaven's got to be filled with people like that. Do you understand what I'm painting here? Do you understand that picture? That's why trusting in your own righteousness without a true relationship with Jesus Christ, having confidence in that to get us into heaven is one of the foolish things that you can think of in life. It doesn't even make sense. How can people who don't have a real relationship with Jesus Christ get into that party? It's only the people that truly know God and who truly know and are convinced that he's worthy of everything, make it into heaven. And that's why salvation is all about that. Do you understand? Do you guys understand that? Yes? And that's the point that Jesus is conveying here. See, these houses look exactly the same. They are both very religious people, the wise and 
you know, the foolish man. These two men did all of the right things on the outside. But once again, Jesus is not commenting on how the house looks. He's not commenting nor differentiating in the house. He is commenting on what they built the house upon. What did they build their lives upon? Did they spend their whole lives making Christ greater and giving him glory? Did they do that by listening to Jesus, hearing from his word, and then obeying it? Because they knew that it would increase their awareness of how worthy and awesome their God actually is. See, that's what faith in Christ does. Faith in Christ leads to that relationship that realizes how awesome God is. And, and we continually grow in that understanding through obedience. And that's why we live that kind of life. That's what gives God glory. And that's what makes you wise for eternity. The foolish man, on the other hand, didn't build his life upon Jesus Christ. And even though he may have done great, good religious things, even though he might have been used to do amazingly mighty, great things for God, even though he might have been totally blessed with you know, these spiritual gifts and did all these things, because he didn't build his life upon Jesus Christ, because Christ wasn't his goal, and because Christ wasn't the center of his worship and all that he did, there's absolutely no way he can stand when the final judgment comes. He will fall and he won't make it in. Why? Because he completely missed the whole point of why Christ was sent to save us. And that was for the glory of God. That was so that we could find and discover and continually discover or continually deepen our satisfaction and joy in God alone. This is the wise man. And this is why God sent Jesus so that we could be saved and know him. Do you guys get this? Do you guys understand this? This is huge. So what Jesus is saying, if we understand that clearly, is that the greatest thing that you can do with your life is to build your life on Christ alone. Didn't we just sing that song? <laughs> I'm going to build it on Jesus only. That's it. Another, a different way we can say that is what? If we understand exactly why God, who God is, his ultimate purpose and goal in salvation. The greatest thing we can do with our life is to love God with all that we have. The greatest thing that we can do with our life is to make every part of our lives about his glory. And that's exactly what he's saying here. And that's why scripture exists. A lot of people think scripture is a rule book. You know, it kind of is to some extent, but it's in a good way. Some people say, no, scripture is a love letter. It is. But ultimately, the reason why God gave us scripture is so that we could be fully equipped with everything that we need to make every part of our lives about giving God glory. Scripture exists so that our careers can continually give God glory. Scripture exists so that we can learn how to make our marriages centered upon his glory. Scripture exists so that we can teach our children how awesome and worthy and beautiful God really is. Scripture equips us with that. And if we listen to it and obey it and apply it, we learn it and we grow in it. Right? And this is exactly why Scripture is given to us. So the wise man finds his greatest joy in building his life upon Jesus. So the question of questions today is very, very simple. What are you building your life upon? Are you building your life upon Jesus Christ 
alone. If it's not Jesus, you will fall. And by fall, I mean what? You're probably going to hell, right? Faith in Christ leads to a genuine relationship with Christ characterized by obedience to Christ, you know? If you don't have a faith in Christ that is driving your life to live in obedience to Christ and to give him glory, then maybe the faith that you profess is not real saving faith. Tough. Tough. Eddie, that doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> I don't like it, you know, because it's too black and white for me. It's too binary. You know, it's too this or that. You know, I don't like it. You know, I almost feel, I feel kind of scared now. You know, in these past few weeks, you've been making me question my salvation. And I feel kind of scared. You know, are you trying to scare me into salvation? Are you trying to scare me? Is Jesus trying to scare me? Is Jesus trying to scare me into salvation? Is Jesus trying to scare me into living a life that honors him and lives for him alone? And the answer is, yes. You bet your life he is. But that's bad, Eddie. Why is that bad? Because you, sh you shouldn't scare us into salvation. That's not good. It's not a good motivation, you know? And what I'll say to that is, maybe, but maybe not, you know? And this is what I mean. Let me tell you what's bad, okay? It's not bad. It's not bad to scare people into salvation. Let me tell you what's bad. You know, if someone cares more about how these truths are being conveyed rather than the truths themselves and dealing with the truth of the situation themselves, I think they're foolish, you know? And this is what I mean by that. Um, you know what one of the most annoying things in the world, one of the, one of the most annoying sounds in the world is? A smoke detector. Right? Did, you ever, did you ever listen to a smoke detector or change the battery in a smoke detector? If you accidentally press the button, it's so loud and annoying. It scares you a little bit. You know, and so I don't like smoke detectors. I don't like the sound that comes out of that. And you know, whether you expect it or not, it's a very, very scary sound. So the thing is, when it goes off, though, the reason why it exists, and the re when it goes off, it means that what your house is on fire, right? So in that sense, it's not that bad. But even when it goes off, it's still scary. But the scarier, the scarier truth is that your house is on fire if it's going off. Now here we go. If you were sleeping late at night and you were asleep, and all of a sudden your 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 smoke detector goes all goes off. And you're like, wow, and you get scared awake. You know, the thing is, you would be foolish. Instead of, like, getting out of the house and running to safety, you would be foolish if you stopped in front of your smoke detector and scolded it for scaring you. Don't you think? See, that's the situation that we encounter here. Jesus Christ is saying what? There may be people in the church who have deceived themselves into thinking that they're saved and they're going to heaven when in reality they may be going to hell. And all Jesus Christ doing is doing is he's sounding the alarm. And he's just saying, look, maybe you are, and that's great. Or maybe if you really take an honest look at yourself, you're actually in a burning building. You know? And this is your opportunity to find true safety in Christ. That's all he's doing. He's sounding the alarm. And so you can either spend your life responding to the very eternal, very real crisis that you might be in the middle of, or you can spend your days scolding the messenger. What are you going to do? Why? Because heaven is real. Hell 
is real. And Jesus is saying today that the difference between the wise man and the foolish man is one who obeys in their faith. And if you have no idea where you're going if you were to die today, or if you might actually be convinced that you're not going to heaven, but you're going to hell today, then you want to know something? It would be an absolute waste of time to criticize the message or to criticize the sender when you should be responding to your situation. And maybe more importantly, you should be responding to the Savior, who is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is pursuing you. That's why all these messages are here. He's pursuing you to save you from your sins. That's the reason why we're going to hell. You see, judgment exists because God is just. God is holy. Therefore, his holiness demands that he punishes sin. We are all sinners. Therefore, we are the object of his judgment and wrath. Because we're sinners. We have sin. And this is what Jesus was conveying in our story today. right? People who have sin, who don't have faith in Christ, they get destroyed because of their sin. The judgment is coming. And, but what you need to realize, God is just, but God is also love. And he loves us us and he does not want any one of us to perish or to go to hell and that is why he sent his son Jesus Christ to die upon the cross when Jesus Christ died upon the cross the greatest thing that he did was he satisfied the wrath of God and the judgment of God against us for our sins and took that upon himself that's why Jesus Christ was sent why? So that we could be forgiven of our sins, so that we could have his righteousness, so that we could have a relationship with God to realize that living for sin only condemns. But when we have God and his righteousness, we can now live the life that we were always created for to give him glory and to find our deepest joy and satisfaction in that. Everything else in this world, we know. We've been in church long enough to know they don't satisfy. But the problem is, that we haven't really found our satisfaction in Christ yet, even though we know that's the truth. But it's when we take these steps towards obedience, knowing completely against our sinful nature, that God trains our hearts and shows us and reveals to us that there really is no other joy and satisfaction rather than in Christ alone. And this is the life that we were created for, to give him glory. And that is why that Christ was sent. Do you guys understand this? This is why Jesus Christ died for us. So how do we do that? Through a genuine relationship characterized by obedience. And that journey begins by putting our faith in Jesus Christ, right? If you are not saved today, can I just invite you to do something about it today? You know, will you put your faith in Jesus Christ? But Eddie, that's not good because... You know, you're just like scaring us into salvation now again, you know. Uh, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ today just because we're going to hell and not because we're in love with Jesus, isn't that a bad thing? Like, don't you hear that? That's what my junior high pastor did. He like scared me into believing in Jesus when I didn't even know who Jesus is. Uh, that happens in the church a lot. And this is my answer to that once again. Uh, maybe it's bad. Maybe it isn't, you know. And this is what I mean. You know, personally, I don't think it matters whether your walk with Jesus or your faith in Jesus began out of fear or not, right? Well, yes, but I, I kind of don't believe it. And this is what I mean by that. 
Because knowing that he woke you up to eternal realities when you were ignorant about it, knowing that he could have just left you as you were going in the wrong direction, but yet instead decided to run into the burning house of your life to save you and to alert you of your situation. Knowing that it is out of his love for you that he still continues to pursue you today. Knowing all of these things, wouldn't thanksgiving or being thankful be the next natural response? You know, thank you, Jesus, for sounding the alarm. And if it was fear that awakened you to those eternal realities, then thank God that we got scared enough to, to look and see for real where we really are. And if that fear then leads you to faith, to believing in Christ and understanding his purpose, and then wanting to live a life that gives him glory, thank God then that you got scared. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Praise God that the message was that fearful. That's what I say. But if fear simply caused you to grab the first piece of fire insurance that you saw at your disposal so that you could feel secure in yourself, that's not building on the rock, is it? The rock has nothing to do with it. So therefore, it don't matter. Because I don't know if you're going to get in with that fire insurance, you know? It doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Because heaven's not filled with people who want fire insurance. Heaven's filled with people who love God and who understand his worthiness. That's not saving faith. Saving, real saving faith leads to a relationship with Jesus Christ that orients every part of our being to want to give him glory. So, even if your spiritual journey began with fear, it's not necessarily bad, as long as it leads you to a genuine relationship with Jesus that's characterized by a desire to give him glory and to deepen your thankfulness and satisfaction in him alone. Right? You guys get that? So... You know, if Jesus is carrying us into salvation, praise the Lord. Praise God. Why? Because Jesus simply wants to make sure that none of you deceive yourselves. He just, once again, this is the same thing these past four messages. He wants to make sure that you're not putting, in, you're putting your confidence eternally in the wrong things. And so he's very, very black and white about what counts, what gets in, what God values, and why God is doing all of this for you. Okay, And it's up to you to wrestle with those eternal truths today. And my hope is that your conclusion after all that is, wow, you want to know something? There is no other choice but to truly live my life for Christ alone. You guys understand this? You guys see this? Okay. Uh, you know, I said this message would be challenging, but I also said it would be kind of encouraging at the beginning of this message. So let me just close my message with something very, very encouraging. And the thing that's very encouraging that God is doing in your life right now is something that's in this passage today, and it's the storms. Okay, it has to do with the storms, right? Didn't, what did we say earlier about storms? Storms reveal whether we built our lives upon the true foundation of Jesus Christ or not. One day, when we get to heaven, God's eternal judgment against us, that storm, you know, will judge whether we did that or not. But Storms also refer to life's difficulties today. And when we encounter storms in our life today, it reveals whether we're building upon Jesus Christ right now. 
And if we're not, it gives us the opportunity to actually place, a, place our trust, to change that direction, and to live for Jesus and build our lives upon Jesus now. When I first became a, a pastor back in Chicago, uh, my first missions trip I ever went on was to Africa. And I went with the first generation. I was part of a Korean church. And I, and I was on this plane with one of my elders. I sat next to my elder the whole way from Chicago to, you know, to Africa. And, but I was very thankful because, you know, on that, on that plane ride, he uh, shared his testimony with me. And let me just, uh, I'll just highlight parts of his testimony. Basically, he came uh, to Chicago from Korea, and he built up this really hugely successful, successful business. It's one of the most successful in Chicago among Koreans, Korean Americans. And then uh, he was, and during that time, he was serving the church. He became an elder, and he was you know, deeply involved with church. But then one night, he got this call saying that his whole building was burning down, right? He owned the whole building. <laughs> so his whole building was burning down. And his whole business burned down. And of course, he didn't have insurance because, you know, Korean immigrants, we don't take out insurance. You know, but he didn't have insurance, so he lost everything. And um, he told me that it was during that most difficult time that he found Jesus, right? And so he said, before that day, I thought Jesus existed so that Jesus could help me become successful. But it wasn't until I lost everything that I realized that life is not about earthly riches or success, but that it's about Jesus alone. Right? And he was like, it was a very deeply spiritual moment when he's sharing these things. But of course, me being the person that I am, I'm like, wait, hold up. So you became an elder before you became a Christian? <laughs> that's what I said. And then, you know, once again, I, that's exactly what I said. And this huge smile comes across his face. You know, I don't know why all my friends have these big smiles. And he, his huge smile comes across his face. And he says, I guess so. But till this day, he proudly shares this testimony. He proudly shares. His, these, I mean, it's an embarrassing thing to say that you were an elder before you were a Christian. But he proudly shares that because... God used that storm in his life to show him what counts the most. And he's so proud that he's living for God now. You know? Storms in life. What if you went through your whole life and you built a great house? You served the church. You did everything right on the outside. And you go up there and you're like, Lord, Lord, you know, look at what I did. But then all of a sudden he says, man, I never knew you. What if he does that? Wouldn't it have been better if God sent a few storms your way while you were here on earth to awaken you to the reality that maybe you're not trusting in the right thing, it would. And that's what God does. God allows storms to happen within our lives so that it can awaken us to whether we're really building our lives upon Jesus or not. So the next time you encounter a, a, a difficulty in life that's really difficult, instead of like whinging and whining and cursing the difficulty, open up your heart to maybe the things that God wants to say to you and to show you and allow God to reveal whether you really are building upon the rock or maybe you're investing in some sand. Let's celebrate life's difficulties. There are only two roads in life, one that leads to heaven and the other leads to hell. There are only two kinds of trees, one that bears eternal fruit and the other one that leads to hell. There are only two kinds of claims, one that truly follows Christ into eternity and the other one that leads to hell. 
There are only two kinds of builders. One that builds upon Jesus alone and the other one that leads to hell. God loves you. And the last thing that he ever wants is for you to spend your whole life deceiving yourself. Right? Who cares about what the house looks like? What matters is what you build your life upon. And that's all Jesus is saying in this passage today. Um, a life focused upon Christ alone, invested in Christ alone, lived for Christ alone, leads to a life of worship and thanksgiving, which prepares us best for eternity. Right? That is why God created you. That is why he sent his son, Jesus Christ. That is what salvation is all about, and that is what we need the most. So let's build our lives upon Jesus today. Let's pray. You know, I want to do everything I can not to make this an emotional plea. But today is the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? If you don't know where you're going when you die right now, I hope all of these messages that we preach for the past six months leads you and leads you to conclude that there is only one way to live, and that's for Jesus Christ alone. God loves you. But the wrath of God is also upon you. But he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to satisfy that wrath when he died upon the cross. He wants to forgive you of all of your sins so that you could have a relationship and truly find your identity in Christ alone, to live for him, to live for his glory, to know that this is the only deepest joy and satisfaction that we could have ever been created for. But that begins when we put our faith in Christ and surrender our lives to his lordship so that his glory can become everything. I hope that has become the clearest thing to you. If you don't know where you're going, or if you think you might be going the wrong way, can I invite you to put your faith in Jesus Christ today? Do it. Trust in him. Surrender your life to him. Repent of your sins. And ask God to help you live every single day from this day forward in a way that increases your joy in him alone and makes him greater in your life. Will you do that? If you're a Christian here today, obviously the simple question is, are you building your life upon Christ alone? Are you really living your life for his glory? Are you, is your life moving in that direction? Let's not allow ourselves to be deceived, but let's ask God to help us once again live for him alone. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you so much. We thank you, God, for all these truths that awaken us to eternal realities. Lord, we pray that you'll help us respond to those ways, to these realities, God, in ways that give you glory. God, convince our hearts that you are the only way to live our lives. And Father, for those who have given their lives to you, God, I pray, continue to protect them from the evil one, help them to find their family here and in your kingdom, and God, help them to grow to love you and use them powerfully, God, for your glory so that they might truly be beacons of light and salt to this world, God, who shows people exactly why they were created as well. Father, we pray that you would make us into a church of people who don't deceive ourselves and refuse to, but who truly want more than anything, God, to make you great. So teach us how to do that. We thank you for all the storms and the challenges you throw our way so that we can do that even more. But God, more than anything, make us into a ministry filled with people that just love you and just want to love you more with all that we have. God, continually want just to be like obsessed with seeing and knowing and experiencing your worthiness in our lives. That's all we want. And do that within us. We thank you, God, for all this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.